Good morning and welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. That's one year after August 16th, the withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan and the collapse of Kabul and the takeover of the Taliban. Lots of commentary on this. Uh, We've got some news on that this morning. The NPR and New York Times are covering that by removing Joe Biden from their stories. And this is something that Ben Shapiro actually pointed out on Twitter. I happened to catch it when Ben uh, pointed it out, and I followed up with a lengthy post about this. But there's other news in that, which is that the Republican minority on the House Foreign Relations Committee has a new report that's coming out, should be out today. Uh, The Dallas Morning News got a chance to look at it yesterday and reported on it yesterday. And they don't skip over Joe Biden at all. There is no mention on NPR or the New York Times at all. Not even a single mention of Biden, or for that matter, Donald Trump, um, who was also part of the decision to uh, make an agreement with the Taliban, which the Taliban almost immediately began violating, and Joe Biden executed the withdrawal anyway and executed it in a way where our ally in Afghanistan, our allied government in Afghanistan was guaranteed to collapse, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, despite all the protestations from Joe Biden that that wouldn't happen, that he'd get all the Americans out. That didn't happen either. Nothing like that gets mentioned in the New York Times or NPR reports. However, the report that's coming out today, um, based on what the Dallas Morning News saw in the advanced look at this, is going to focus very heavily on Joe Biden and his advisors and you know the Pentagon Uh, the State Department, national security uh, advisors, that sort of thing. And it really is a a way to lay out what Republicans in the House will do once they take back the majority after the midterms. It's very clear that they want to use this as as a basis for a longer investigation, complete with subpoena power, which they didn't get. Uh, for this uh, for this analysis. So this is based on um, either voluntary submissions to the committee or open source um, uh, open source information gathering. It'll be interesting to see the report the full report once it comes out, but that is in my post about the NYT and NPR this morning. so I hope you get a chance to see that. Uh, lots of Trump news this morning. They've, uh, the Department of Justice handed back the passports they were telling media outlets yesterday afternoon they didn't have. The FBI had confiscated Trump's passports, never inventoried them, were leaking out that they didn't have them. Turned out that they did. And the Department of Justice is saying, well, this is a way that these types of things work. But normally when you are seizing uh, materials in a search warrant, you have to have those materials on an inventory in order to have a chain of custody for these things. This never appeared on the inventory, even though there were some specific items like a handwritten note, uh, binders of photos that appeared twice. There's a couple other very specific items that show up in the um, in the inventory, along with very general items like box, you know, 12 or that sort of thing, where obviously you've got a whole bunch of different documents and they're, they're the point of that is to go through them. But um, the passports were never listed and that's curious. And the fact that they... It took him a week to figure out that they had the passports, supposedly, and only returned them after Trump made a public stink about it, uh, is also curious. That doesn't mean that there there, there may not be a legit explanation for it, but there's no reason to seize passports from somebody who isn't on a bail condition. So there's no legitimate investigative reason to seize Donald Trump's passports. So it's very curious how that happened in the first place. 
Uh, the only reason to see somebody's passports is because there's some sort of a judicial finding that requires them to surrender passports for bail conditions. Um, and that's clearly not the case here. He's not even been charged with crime. And so there's no reason to seize those passports. It's very, very curious. Um, Jazz has got some good stuff up about uh, Afghans one year into their new Taliban uh, governance, by the way, as well. He's also got an interesting post up about Alec Baldwin and the shooting on the set of Rust being declared an accident. Uh, the medical examiner uh, made that finding. That's not really a surprise. Nobody thought that Alec Baldwin did that on purpose. Um, the question is to whether or not it was an uh, accident that was uh, negligent enough to warrant charges. And so that's still outstanding. But um, but yeah, certainly, I don't think anybody thought anything differently than it was an accident. There was no intent to fire that weapon. It, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't carry criminal consequences. So um, the, the district attorney in that case is going to have to take a look at that. By the way, our friends over at Bearing Arms have a post up about that as well. So I would uh, definitely uh, go over there and take a look at that. Other Trump news today, by the way, was um, Ellen Weisselberg, their longtime uh, CFO at the Trump Organization, has apparently reached a plea deal with Manhattan prosecutors, which is going to result in a very limited uh, stretch in jail, uh, less than 100 days, the New York Times, estimate, New York Times estimates. Um, and he's not going to provide any sort of testimony for Donald Trump. Now, this is a case the Trump investigation by the Manhattan DA's office has been kind of collapsing for months. Uh, it started in February when Alvin Bragg took office, took a look at the case and decided there wasn't much there. And the prosecutors who had been leading that investigation resigned in protest. But then a grand jury came back and didn't return any, any indictments either. Um, and the Washington Post at the time said, this looks like it's fizzling out. Well, I think this is the final act in that fizzle. They're just wrapping things up with Weisselberg and they're going to let him off with a slap on the wrist and just put this behind them. Now, that doesn't let Trump off the hook for civil issues in the you know supposed tax and bank fraud involved in uh, the uh, estimation of his property values in the Trump organization. Letitia James has got an ongoing civil investigation. This is the civil investigation in which Trump was forced to uh, be uh, to to submit to a deposition last week in which he invoked the Fifth Amendment repeatedly and refused to answer any questions, um, which, you know, probably is a smart idea if you've got problems uh, because you don't want to hand the Manhattan D.A., a, you know, statements that would <clears throat> reopen that same investigation doesn't look good politically. And that may come back to haunt him if and when D Donald Trump decides to run for president again. Um, but the civil issues there are, are going to be financial um, and political. There'll be political consequences for that too, but not criminal. And so that is something that is still playing out, will continue to play out. We've got lots more, too. We've got new polling data out of Florida, which is sort of a mixed bag for Republicans because it shows Ron DeSantis is doing really good with Hispanics, but Marco Rubio is not doing so great. So that's uh, that's a post that's coming up at uh, hot air, probably be up by the time that this podcast launches. Tom Cotton is blasting Joe Biden for arming the uh, Chinese Communist Party by apparently waiving all of the tech um, restrictions on uh, exports to China. And well, I'll have more on that in the afternoon. It's an interesting, it's an interesting issue, especially with uh, China being so aggressive towards Taiwan, thanks to Nancy Pelosi's visit. It's um, it's a curious time to get um, very lax 
on technology transfers to China. And of course, there's the whole Hunter Biden business uh, dealings um, thread that we can yank on a little bit here as well to find out just, just why Biden seems to be so um, eager to do business with China at this particular moment in time. Coming up next, though, is my weekly chat with the regent of Red State, the prince of Twitter, Andrew Malcolm at A.H. Malcolm on Twitter. We have a lot of fun, including how I reveal that I am a radical extremist who has a fully automatic high-capacity rosary. So you you don't want to miss that one. It's a lot of fun. And stay tuned for... Uh, a little message at the end on how you can subscribe on uh, to not just the podcast uh, platforms, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, but also how you can become a VIP and VIP Gold member. Have yourselves a great afternoon, and thanks for watching The Ed Morrissey Show. Welcome back to The Ed Morrissey Show podcast. As always on Tuesdays, we speak to the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm at AH Malcolm on Twitter, and of course, redstate.com in the VIP column. Doing some great work as always. Andrew, welcome back uh, to this Thank week's. Thank you. Even show. after all these, all these years, uh, the Prince of Twitter gets me. <laughs> I, <laughs> that is stuck. People, people sometimes send me DMs addressed to Prince of Twitter. <laughs> well, word gets around, man. Word yeah, gets around. and I tell them they have to, they have to bow when they're talking to me. Uh, yes, and uh, because you are above the law. <laughs> yeah, and uh, because you're the region of red state, so you're above the law there That's too. That's right. But, yeah, but. Uh, you do remind us in your VIP column this week, um, Andrew, that in America, no one is above the law except the Democrats. That's right. <laughs> except a, the Democrats who are. Ex except, except the Democrats who are. I just, you know, when you look at it, it's so blatant. And of course, the media is on their side mostly, but it's so, it, 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 if you go down the list of things that, that there's not been any consequences for, um, Donald Trump makes, and I'm not necessarily sticking up for him all the time, but Donald Trump makes a phone call to Ukraine and there's an impeachment trial and Hunter Biden sells his father's name all over the world and Bukas, nothing, you know, Russiagate, nothing, Solyndra, nothing, Fast and Furious, nothing, nothing, even Eric Holder, contempt of Congress, nothing. Steve Banning, contempt of Congress, boom, trial, guilty. Peter Navarro, they went and arrested him and brought him to court in shackles for a contempt of Congress charge. And yeah. even the judge was looking and going, what are you doing? Is <laughs> this mean, really necessary? Is yeah. this really necessary? I mean, he was held overnight. I mean, it was... It's the type of thing that normally you just show up to the courthouse with your attorney, you know, for the arraignment sort of thing. It's not like yeah. Navarro was a flight risk. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, a lot of this is I, I completely agree with the premise of this. And the reason why this comes up now, of course, is because of the raid on Mar-a-Lago. We talked about it last yeah. week. Um, actually, I don't think we got a chance to talk about it last week because I believe. No, it that's happened. right. Or we, the, the news broke after you and I were talking about uh, doing right, a podcast. Right. And look, I mean, this this thing about um, about no one's above the law. 
I, I am a big fan of the Espionage Act. Having been somebody who handled the classified material and who yeah. was warned repeatedly in security briefing after boring security briefing after boring security briefing, and some that were actually kind of interesting, about the consequences of mishandling uh, classified material, um, I actually would like to see people held accountable for that. But that, that hope sort of died in 2016 when the FBI came up with a, a new... A, a new paradigm for the Espionage Act, which was that it had to be um, had to be connected to some sort of malicious intent, which is has never been the case with this. We've prosecuted lots of people, uh, punished lots of people under this uh, for mishandling uh, classified material, or at least threatened to do so, without that ever being a, a component. But since it's a component now, yeah. I, I mean. Andrew, I mean, I want to get back to your column here. This is another example of a, a two-level system of justice yeah. at the Department oh, yeah. of Justice. Absolutely, a bifurcated system of justice. And if you're if you're on Twitter, I get that people have preconceived notions that when they see something about Joe Biden or they see something about Donald Trump, they go, "Oh, that's automatically bad." or it's automatically great. But I don't get it when you have prof alleged professionals in the justice system who are supposed to um, look at things and to come up with uh, reasonable prosecutions, right. even with all the discretion that they get. Remember that Comey news conference when he made the case for, <laughs> oh my God, she's gonna go to Alcatraz? And then he said, but we've decided not to prosecute because, because. Because. Uh, yeah. Because, Andy. Uh, yeah, right. And uh, so there's, uh, no, I have, uh, it's been two days since I read the column, Ed, but. There, <laughs> <laughs> because, there, that's because. Oh, I know, I know. You remember uh, Congressman Collins? Yeah, and, Christopher and, Collins, um, yeah. And Michael Cohen. And uh, they both got indicted in the fall uh, before in 2018, before uh, before the election. But now, oh, well, we can't do anything about Hunter and, and other things now because there's an election coming. But Hunter's not up for election. No. And, ne and neither is his dad. So, no, but, but and if there's an election coming, then why raid Mar-a-Lago now rather than yeah, two months well, ago or, yeah. or after the midterms? It's I mean, all part of the well poisoning so that uh, Trump, he might run, but he he won't be able to win. Right. Uh, and it's just such rabid. Uh, well, Trump derangement syndrome. It, I mean, it is. It's a real thing. It, it really is. And folks, if you haven't read. Uh, Andrew's VIP column on this. Um, you definitely want to do this. Now, um, I also wrote about this issue specific to the Mar-a-Lago raid. And Alan Dershowitz and David French, two people who do not see eye to eye on Donald Trump, I should add, do see eye to eye on this issue, which is the Hillary rule, which is that the Department of Justice established <laughs> that they're not going to enforce the Espionage Act unless it crosses certain boundaries, right? And um, I, I, French is the guy who actually wrote most specifically on this, and I know a lot of people on the right don't like David French, 
because he's very critical of Donald Trump. Dershowitz, on the other end, is usually defending Donald Trump, which is, you know, if you'd asked me six years ago, <laughs> yeah, which which side of an issue will David French and Alan Dershowitz be on? I would have said, yeah, opposite sides, but I would have picked the other way around. Yeah. Um, so good on both of them, though. I mean, and and so this is what his argument was: was that. Um, this was the key paragraph, as David French writes at the Dispatch, about um, about the reason why they didn't prosecute Hillary. And looking back at our investigations into mishandling or removal of classified information, we cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. All the cases prosecuted involve some combination of clearly intentional and willful mishandling of classified information or vast quantities of materials exposed in such a way as to support an inference of intentional misconduct or indications of disloyalty to the United States or efforts to obstruct justice. We do not see these things here, meaning in, in the Hillary Clinton case. Well, Hillary Clinton operated a server, uh, rather an email server out of her house, rather than use the official State Department system, clearly to avoid the record retention requirements at the State Department. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, she exposed, for four years, she retained and exposed and transmitted classified material all the way up to the level of top secret compartmented information. Um, now, Trump allegedly had that same level of information in the paperwork that he had stored at Mar-a-Lago, but that was a one-time transfer of the material. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't on the four internet. Four years, yeah. You know, for it was. It was sitting in one place and not getting disseminated for eighteen months. And the Department of Justice knew it was there. They were just arguing over. You know, the National Archives were arguing over it, and then the Department of Justice got involved when they suspected that there was classified material there. And the Department of Justice said, "Well, put a padlock on this while we're." negotiating this which they did which the fbi agents proceeded to cut off when they got out there okay that all well, that's fine but i mean the hillary clinton stuff is an order of magnitude worse and the exposure mm -hmm. risk was an order of magnitude worse than yep. what what was going on with donald trump and yet there was no subpoena there was no search warrant nobody went to chappaqua to go check and see if there was anything else at the house that she had retained um, they, she was allowed to hand over the server on her own after she wiped out literally half of the email messages that were on it, wiped with a cloth, if you'll recall. I mean, all of this suggests two very different approaches oh, <laughs> by the Department absolutely. of Justice to the Espionage and, Act. And go back to Benghazi. The accountability, yeah. the accountability Review Board, Admiral Mullen, took the documents that Hillary's chief of staff gave him. Yep. That's, that's what he went over. Yep. And he never, ever interviewed Hillary Clinton, who was in charge totally the entire night of the Benghazi murders and the aftermath. And she's the one that ordered the reduction in security before the incident. And he never interviewed her. Nor did anyone seek to get an answer for why Barack Obama disappeared for 15 hours without any explanation that night. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's just, it's disgusting. Yep. And uh, yeah. So I mean, it, it would be disgusting the other way, Ed, I think, it between would be, you yeah. and me. Absolutely. Absolutely. All we want is one standard yeah. of justice at the Department of Justice, and we are clearly not getting that. 
All right, so we've got that going on. The other thing that's going on, there's a couple other things going on, actually, but uh, I, I, there's a particular story I want to get to. <laughs> By the way, again, that's at redstate.com. You look up redstate.com slash Andrew Malcolm, and you can find all the stuff that he's working on. Don't forget to go to Malcolm on the Right, episode 22. Hey, let's stop the useless whining. Here's what you can do. Um, that so, one's about the media. Well, I'm going to get to the media in just a second. I'll yeah, get okay. to the media in just a second. But first, before we get there, you know, we're, I don't know, commemorating an anniversary. We're mourning oh. an anniversary today, which yeah. is the marking. bug out. Yeah. Yeah. Marking an anniversary. Yeah. The bug out of Afghanistan from Afghanistan by Joe oh, Biden God. and the abandonment of 14,000 Americans that we know of in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, and thousands more Afghan allies in their families absolutely. who were promised, who were promised refuge. Absolutely. Uh, so who would ever go to work for the United States? Looking at Vietnam, where thousands were left behind, yep, and Afghanistan, where thousands were left behind, yeah. I mean, why who, would you, who worked loyally for the United States uh, and expected reasonably to have protection, but they didn't. And the same, the same, what's the word? Manner of thinking occurred. I was in Saigon at the end, and the. Um, the ambassador, Graham Martin, he didn't want word to get out that we were leaving. And so all of a sudden, everybody discovered that we were leaving. Now, the, the New York Times, anyway, got a warning from the CIA a couple of weeks before that if you got any family, you probably want to get them out. There'll be chaos at the end. But and that's why I remember the storm and trying to people trying to storm the embassy and trying to get out. Those poor people yep. left behind, sent to re-education camps. And I guess uh, Jazz wrote about this in Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban. We left behind the biometric records of everyone who worked for us. Yep. And so they're using those records to track these people down and in some cases execute them. Uh, and Biden dared to call his evacuation a great success. Right. I, I, this is an outrage, and I will never forgive Benghazi. And now, because of what I read about you today, uh, I think Afghanistan is up to that level, too. Well, St still, there's still people there. Right. And I mean, the State Department um, apparently informed Congress yesterday that the number of American citizens exfiltrated um, is now around um, 800. That's about 600 more than they acknowledged they're actually being in Afghanistan at the time they bugged out. Because remember, it was one or 200 people, and that was it. That's all they'd heard from. Yeah. Well, now yeah. they've exfiltrated 800 of them. And the State Department, I mean, this is, you know, it, and there's another 600 legal permanent residents that they've supposedly exfiltrated for a grand total of 1,400 exfils. But the issue here is that the State Department had told Congress in November of last year that there were 14,000 Americans, uh, if you count both citizens and legal permanent residents, green card holders, who were in Afghanistan at the time that we bugged out of Kabul. And that means we've only gotten 10% of the people out that we left behind. I mean, and we're a year into this now. And not only that, but the rate's slowing because it was 900 that they'd exfilled by, I think it was early December. So eight months later, we've only exfiltrated another 700. 
Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, this it's, is a it's outrageous. And, and that, and the whole issue came just, uh, what, 10 days after Biden uh, assured George Stephanopoulos that uh, we're going to stay until everyone gets out who wants out. I'm not even sure it was 10 days. I think it was a couple of days. I mean, it was pretty yeah. there. I mean, I, I don't recall exactly the timing on that, but I think it was closer. I would think it was less than 10 days. But yes, you're right. Yeah. On national television, George Stephanopoulos said, are you going to stay until every last American is out? And yeah, Joe Biden did one of those. Yes, absolutely. Sort of answers yeah. that you, you were kind of wondering whether or not he was actually comprehending what the question was that was being asked. Yeah, well, I don't care. This is the price we pay for having a... Um, an imbecile for president, uh, a guy who doesn't, not even sure where he is. Uh, it, standing next to Lloyd Austin um, so often, and he doesn't remember his name, the Secretary of Defense. Yep. Uh, the guy you named who's in your cabinet, who's running the military, whose advice you disregarded on the Afghan withdrawal, and then lied about it on television. Nobody ever warned me that, there, that we needed to leave troops behind. Well, that's just not true. No, it's not I true. I mean, that's one of many untruths and no consequences. See, this I think is what's ruining the, the reputation among American minds about our country is that there's no consequences. You know, and I don't expect firing squads or anything, but somebody does something wrong. How about Solyndra, 535 million taxpayer dollars to a company controlled by an Obama fundraising bundler? Yeah. Warned in advance that it had shaky finances, still going ahead with it and even delivering a... Uh, a photo op with the president there, and I had a picture in the column of him there pretending to be interested in solar panels. Uh, and and it goes and it goes belly up, and we got $24 million back out of that whole thing. And the loan was written so that George Kaiser, the Obama fundraiser from Oklahoma, his interests were protected first. Uh, you know, uh, no consequences, no consequences for the IRS, no uh, scandal, no consequences right. for Fast and Furious, even had a contempt of Congress, no consequences. The the attorney, uh, the, the prosecuting attorney said, no, we're not going to prosecute uh, Eric Holder. Yeah, well, well, they I mean, on Afghanistan, we're not even talking about, you know, criminal consequences. There's been no political consequences. No. Who, who in... Who in that entire chain of command resigned over the disgrace of what happened in Kabul? There hasn't been a single person no, who's, who's had to resign. Nobody. There was no consequences like that for Benghazi. Leon Panetta. Okay. There's the Cairo embassy. Our Cairo embassy was stormed on the morning of 9-11, 2012. People invaded the embassy. Obviously, 9-1-1 had become an anniversary. They instead they cut back security in Libya, where the militias roamed at will. Uh, there were no rescue attempts uh, attempted, but they weren't even organized to attempt. And yep. Panetta on television, I wrote down my notes. He said, "Well, you don't send troops in when you don't know what's going on." Really? You tell the guys on D-Day, 
we we're not sure what's going to happen on the beach. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, they were so uncertain that Eisenhower wrote an apology, accepting complete responsibility for the failure of Normandy in advance because he was so uncertain whether it would work. Well, and there's a reason for that. I mean, people don't remember, but but there was a. Uh... There was a catastrophic attempt to do the same thing on the other side of France at Dieppe a year earlier. Oh and, yeah, and in Belgium. Yeah, yeah. And was that, oh that was in Belgium. You're right. It wasn't yeah, France. Yeah. It was in Belgium. That that's where the British fought to the last Canadian. Yes. The Canadians were were sacrificed in that raid. Yes. Yeah. That was um, it. Was a it was terrible. a very poor. It was terrible. It was very poorly planned out. The Canadians were furious with the British over that because of the lack of British commitment to it, and um, and I mean they learned a lot of lessons from that. But that's one of the reasons why oh, Eisenhower was yeah. preparing, uh, you know, uh, yeah. preparing that that note was because he wasn't sure it was going to work on D Day either. It did, but he wasn't sure if it was going to work because of what had happened at Dieppe. Anyway, um, the. Um, you know, there, there's just been no consequences to any of this. And, none. none. And, and it's so corrosive to trust in the institutions. And it's not vindictive, Ed. I don't think Americans are vindictive about the wrongdoing. They just want some consequences. But people in Washington skate. And that's what Donald Trump was so capably able to exploit in 2016 and 15 when he talked about draining the swamp and cleaning the houses on both parties in washington now they got to him before he got the job done but um that's the frustration and the anger that americans watch in their national capital it's pathetic uh yeah yeah i mean it, it is and and this anniversary gives us an opportunity to review this, right? To say, look, um, this is, it's been a year on, you've still got thousands of Americans still trapped there. You guys aren't doing anything about it, um, except avoiding responsibility for it. Where are, the, where, where is the accountability? Yeah, there isn't any. None. Uh, and there's consequences beyond um, Kabul. And that is that recruiting is down. There's no military yep. service that is meeting its service quotas, and therefore they're going to 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 get a sufficient troops. They're going to have to lower the standards or be underpowered at a time where China is threatening to invade Taiwan. Now, um, the reason there are several reasons why the recruiting is down. First of all, the main reason that's tied to historically is unemployment. So high unemployment means a lot of people are driven to volunteer for the military, which is great because it's a guaranteed job, health care, food, everything. On the other hand, if with low unemployment, which we have now, that's because so many people have stopped looking for work, but the rate is low and so people don't volunteer. But for, I found this in research, 40% of the normal recruiting classes in the in the US military volunteering have some connection to the military a dad a mom yep. uh uncle grandfather somebody was in the military and that number is plummeted i don't remember what it is it was it was way down under 
And why? Well, because I think families are saying, look, what is the military? This military that we honored for so long with our own members is now so woke. And look how they got screwed up in uh, Kabul. Now, that wasn't their fault. It was the president's fault who ignored them. And loyally, they kept quiet about it. But even when Biden was saying, no, we're not going to have any troops in Kabul, even though the generals recommended it, the military did organize, I think it was 8,000. They had them ready, ready to go in, knowing full well that they would have to. Uh, so, yeah, the confidence even in the military and the polls show and in the Supreme Court, confidence is down for whatever reasons. And I think you're absolutely right at what you just said. It's, it's because there are no consequences. Yep. People expect consequences. Otherwise, it's... Um, what do you call it? Anarchy. Yeah. Um, or you you end up um, you end up institutionalizing ennui and um, and yeah. and and cynicism, and that's a real problem. Speaking yeah. of which, by the way, we got, we got to talk about the media, right? Okay. I, I I have to I have to reveal something to you, Andrew. Uh-huh. I I am a concealed rosary holder. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 my wife is a, my wife is a, uses high capacity rosaries. Um, <laughs> I think they're almost automatic. I, I would say that we could probably call them semi-automatic rosaries, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're convertible, they're convertible to, um, they're convertible to, um, fast uh, fire. Yeah. yeah. Fast fire. Absolutely. You know, uh, and, uh, the Atlantic is all over this, right? <laughs> By the way, they're yeah. they're they've been changing their they've been changing their headline. I think uh, a couple times today over this. But what does this, it start with? It started off with how the rosary became an extremist symbol. <laughs> 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 this, the, the rosary became an extremist symbol. Why? Because people because a, a few extremists with literally thousands of followers on social media, Andrew use the rosary in in part of their symbology and that somehow that negates that a you know centuries of use and the the use of the rosary by by you know hundreds of millions of catholics worldwide somehow a couple of nutcases on on um on twitter who put who post stupid uh, pictures with rosaries somehow that completely changes the rosary and anybody who is anybody's holding a rosary man you're an extremist you know and you know, oh, as, you are. Yeah. I mean, you're a known extremist. Dave. I'm a, I'm a known extremist. And I, I just want to say that this is actually, this is actually the assault rosary that I got in Rome. Okay. <laughs> at the uh, convocation. At, at the conclave. Right. And uh, this is uh, blessed by, uh, by Pope, by, by then newly uh, consecrated Pope Francis in, uh, in a, uh, Isn't that in a large, a large, uh, Audience so it's even it's even more powerful. It is more powerful than, than a non-blessed rosary. Yeah, yeah, see, this is this has got a lot more stopping power. This this, this rosary, this rosary, <laughs> oh, Andrew, has a lot more stopping power. It does. <laughs> Too bad I don't you know, take as, it out as more. A re, often, as a result of your as a result of your exchanges on Twitter today, I posted a picture of of a rhinoceros charging, and the caption was was a high capacity assault unicorn. So, so this was the original headline, right? How gun culture? Oh, I'm sorry, that's not the original one. That's 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 one of the that's one of the. How this is this is it? 
How the rosary became an extremist symbol. The subheadline was, The AR-15 is a secret object among Christian nationalists. Now radical traditional Catholics are bringing a sacrament of their own to the movement. By the way, folks, just in case you're wondering, this is not a sacrament. This is a sacramental. The Atlantic <laughs> doesn't know the difference, but I guarantee you Catholics do. There is a difference. Well, you see, that, that is a chronic thing. Uh, journalists, uh, people who write about religion, not like some of our colleagues, but uh, most of the people in the mainstream media who write about religion, they don't understand it. And, you know, I get that because they're taught that if you don't have data to support what you're saying, then it can't be true. Yes. Uh, yeah, right. And you don't have data. Prove to me there's a God. Well, it's called faith. And and they, that's why religion gets covered so poorly, and they end up covering it uh, for ad attendance or yeah. paid, paid membership, and it's up or down or sideways, whatever. Don't forget the radical rosaries. The radical rosaries. Radical yeah. rosaries. So they changed the headline at first to how gun culture co-opted the rosary, which is still uh -huh. not accurate. Um, and... Then they changed it again to how extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. Uh, <laughs> sad. sad. It's very sad. And on top of all this, Andrew, they ran this article two days after running another article. And I, I have to make sure that I pull the, the correct um, headline up on this one because, I mean, honestly, this was like, are, are you effing kidding me? sort of thing. This was an article that was saying that the right wing um, was um, embracing this uh, domestic terror group, or at least self-proclaimed domestic terror group, Jane's Revenge, which had taken credit for a series of attacks on pro-life centers. Um, they, The Atlantic's piece on this was the right's new boogeyman <laughs> and saying that that Oh, well, you know, they're just seizing on this so that they can, you know, so they can take the moral high ground. This is an actual group that's actually claiming credit for terror attacks on pro-life facilities. And that's, 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 it's, it's, that's just simply a Republican's pounce issue there. Yeah, the pouncing. Oh, pouncing. Absolutely. Lots of pouncing. But if you take a picture of the rosary... <laughs> If you got some nutcase taking pictures of rosaries <laughs> next to guns, suddenly this has become extremist, and it's and Catholics are now part of the Christian nationalist movement, which was Paniton's actually larger point was that Catholics are becoming part of the Christian nationalist movement. It's like, no, well, that, it's really, a danger. The Catholics are a dangerous cult, and I think and I think you're a prime example of that. Well, I do have my I do have my radical rosary beads. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have several. I, I might start marketing these. <laughs> Ed Morrissey's radical rosary beads. With, uh, this rosary was stored near a rosary blessed by the Pope. Yeah, this is, you know, we actually have terms for that, right? Which is, uh, you know, uh, second degree relics, <laughs> third degree relics. You want to get a 14th degree relic? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, pathetic. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, 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 uh, I, I, I gotta tell you, it's a great marketing opportunity opened up by the Atlantic. I, there you is, go, Ed. There you go. But this is, this is part of the sneering 
culture, media culture that actively seems to just want to attack um, American institutions or just, you know, normal human institutions like religious faith. Um, because yeah. like you said, they don't understand it, but also B because undermining it makes them feel more powerful. Yeah. And I mean, it really is, it's a power play and it's undermining everything. Right. You know, if you destroy the economy, if you destroy the military, if you destroy faith, uh, then maybe they think they can rebuild it in the way they want it to be. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, I, uh, I'll still be here with my radical rosary beads. There you um, will be, and we're counting on that, Ed. Uh, they might, they might make an appearance in every, uh, every one of our uh, talks. Well, you just Andrew. Hang, hang it in the back there, so it, so the aura protects us. I, I think. So can I? I'm not Catholic, but can I count on the protection from your arm rosary? Oh sure, yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. that's you, one of the nice things about being a. That's one of the nice things about being a concealed rosary carrier is that, is that you can. You can yeah, then, just pull, pull it out whenever the threat appears. You can just pray for anybody that way. You just just whip them out and just start praying the rosary right then and there. And it's a it's a spiritual protection for anybody that you happen to come across. That's right. And 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 if they're standing next to you, you can kind of get the umbrella protection. Yeah, yeah. I think the my most the most amusing part of that, by the way, and not that I was terribly amused, but the most amusing part of that was that somehow the rosary was um a symbol of manliness and warrior, uh, warrior mentality. I'm thinking to myself, the rosary, <laughs> give me the one that the one that Catholic critics have been barking about for decades about being too focused on the feminine. <laughs> I, you know, there are 53 Hail Marys in a, in a, in a rosary. Right. And there's, um, you know, a hail of Holy queen in there as well. Um, as opposed to 11 our fathers and i'm thinking to myself yeah that's 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 the one that's terribly masculine yeah, yeah. That's, that that yeah. must be it so are the rosaries marked for pronouns <laughs> i don't know what the i don't know um i think the pronouns for a rosary are thee thou and thine <laughs> thee thou and thine thee yeah. thou and thine right thee thou and thine so yes um thee thou and thine my 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 assault rosary is is right here. My high capacity, my high, high capacity, capacity assault rosary. My high capacity assault rosary is right here by me. I just wanted to make sure that you know I had full disclosure here about my an high automatic capacity. high capacity assault rosary. That's boy. Yeah, like the rest. Kinda, like do the, you have a license for that? No, I don't actually. But you know, like the rest of my like the rest of my weapons, I need more practice with it. <laughs> my wife, on the other hand, is an expert marksman on on the um on the assault rosary so beware of my wife beware She's, yeah she she carries concealed wherever she goes and she is an expert marksman in in the assault rosary so you know oh, now you boy. know I've been teasing her all morning long about that too. Uh, <laughs> I don't think she's amused either, Andrew. But maybe by the time this podcast airs, she'll be a little bit more. She'll she'll find it a little bit more amusing. I have no idea. Anyway, we're just about out of time. On that note, <laughs> Andrew Andrew Malcolm, of course, is the prince of Twitter, the regent of Red State, and the um. And, uh, well, I don't know. I was going to try to throw something in there about the rosary, but I won't do that. Um, that's. <laughs> You got you got enough titles. I'll be the I'll be the assault yeah. rosary. Uh, okay, what's, yeah. What's yeah. what's the uh, what's the term for somebody who stores uh, firearms? I can't think of the I can't think of the armorer. 
armorer. armorer. That's right. I'm I'm the assault rosary armorer of the Ed Morrissey Show <laughs> podcast. But Andrew is the prince of Twitter at AH Malcolm right. on Twitter, and you should follow him there. Andrew, thanks again for another fun yeah. podcast. You bet, Ed. This was great. Thank you. See you next week, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned for one last message from the Ed Morrissey Show right after this. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.